0: Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. Delighted to say I'm here with Cesar Perez. He is an actor, uh, an author, uh, a musician, and he wrote the book. Uh, I'm going to bring up the full title here, Chase the Light, The Gruesome Art of Becoming Unbreakable, which is an absolutely remarkable story of uh, recovery. Cesar, welcome to the show.
1: Oh no! Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited uh, to share my story a little bit, and hopefully have everybody be motivated and inspired. Right. yeah,
0: yes. Yeah, so yeah, give us a little bit of background as to where this incident, which uh, which this uh, this book's kicked off with, you know, the, what what the context for that happening and and what happened.
1: Yeah. So I'm for for starters, I'm an immigrant. Uh, I was born in El Salvador, right, and in 1993, and there was an, a civil war we were finishing up, so there wasn't a, a good environment in which to raise a family. And so my parents brought me and my sisters to the US, and they always told us to be outstanding citizens in order to earn our rights to live here. But this country adopted us, and so my mom, her, she really honed in on our education because there wasn't, she's a smart woman, but never had the opportunity to further her education back home. So for her, making sure we tech grabbed every opportunity that this country offered us was, you know, the main goal. And thankfully, we all listened and we took advantage of every opportunity. And I was the first one in our family to go to college with a full paid tuition, um, with a full ride from my academics. And uh, I decided to major in multimedia design and communications because I love storytelling, you know, like being, to com- being able to convey a message. Either not just verbally, but through animation, motion graphics, and uh, audio. I think there's always a message to get across, and so that's why I majored in that. And that kind of led me to the film industry. I was like, "Well, let's bring a story to life." And uh, one of the casting directors, one on one production I was working on, he was like, "Do you want to audition for this role?" You know, and I was like, "Let's do it." They also bring a story to life, you know, acting is part of it. So. I knew I knew I could do it, but I sent my audition in. I wasn't expecting much, but two weeks later he called me. He was like, he beat out everybody out in LA. So congratulations, the part is is yours. And so I was not only the senior designer for that film, but I was also gonna be Pablo, starring opposite of Daniel Radcliffe and Lisa Burden. And so if you roll the credits, you see my name on there twice as Pablo and then also as part of the art department. And that just skyrocketed my um My acting career and it was taking off in 2018, which is when, unfortunately, you know, I drove down the highway to go see my girlfriend at the time and my family, and a drunk driver driving westbound on eastbound lanes hit me going 76, I believe, and then a big rig, a semi truck, hit me going over 70 as well, head-on, and that's kind of like when my world came crashing down, and that's that's where my book.
0: Book comes in. Wow! Yeah, and, and we'll get into that. But reading your book, I, I mean, it was extraordinary the investment that your mother put in, and your mother features is like a major character in this book. But in even in your childhood, right, you'd get home from school, and then, <laughs> and then like the second school day would start, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Because I came when I was three to the US, right, and my, my parents they didn't want us to forget where we're from, you know. Well, what our culture is and so as soon as i got back from home from school um my mom would start us on uh spanish lessons making sure we didn't forget our writing or our reading and after that she would do more math lessons and everything just because again she didn't have that opportunity back home so she wanted to change that for us and for that i'm forever grateful i mean it's made us who we are you know
0: yeah and so you had this incredibly you driven know, mother but who and then you got these scholarships, right? And that that refl- then reflected in your academics and and uh, and so and tell me, so you're working on the art in the art department for this film. Mm-hmm. Where are you based when this happens? And because you said you beat out the others in LA.
1: Yeah, but at that point uh, I was in Savannah, Georgia, because um, due to tax incentives, a lot of the movies were coming out to the East Coast, uh, and they were filming there uh, in Georgia, and Atlanta. And so this one was being filmed parts in Savannah, Georgia, and that's where I was. So thankfully, you know, but they were still auditioning people out in LA, you know, everywhere. But I got the part.
0: <laughs> Let's see. And you get so this is your basically your big break. Precisely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're in a major film, you're starring opposite Daniel Radcliffe, And uh and then you and then you hit this truck. And so so, so, so what happens like, so, cause I see the pit the, you've got the pictures in the book and your, your car's just absolute wreck as are the, the two other vehicles involved. Um, yeah. What's the, what's like the immediate moments after the impact?
1: Yeah. So I, I remember up until the point of impact, you know, I remember the car in front of me, the lights veering directly to the right drastically. And then that's kind of when my world went dark and then I don't remember anything three more weeks until I woke up in at Shepherd Hospital. Um, and by that point, I had already had multiple surgeries. And I was kind of uh, in critical condition still, but a little bit more stable. But before that, I don't remember the from the accident up until three weeks, and which is good, because I don't have those flashbacks or that trauma of getting behind the wheel of driving again, I can do everything without getting that flashback and being scared to drive. Uh, but it's just three weeks that I don't have a memory of or recollection, but everything else I do. Thankfully, I, I remembered everything from before the accident, you know, my long-term memory was still there. It was just, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy. I, I don't remember those three weeks. I don't precisely want to remember them, you know, but, uh, I went back and spoke to the first responders and the EMS crew that helped save me and extricate me from the vehicle. And they, they told me the story. Um, Because I asked them, I was like, "What happened?" You know, when you guys came and found me, they said I was fighting them off because obviously I had a massive brain injury. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was fighting everybody off, uh, and I was fighting for my life. And they had five people had to hold me down, and I was spitting out my teeth. My jaw was broken in half, hanging, and everything was just bleeding. So I was like, "That's pretty gruesome." But uh, I I just went back and thanked them uh, personally for everything they did and for saving me and giving me a second chance at life you know because they're, they're all volunteers and it's people that I didn't know before that accident uh, but I told them you know they're my family now <laughs> something connected us and they can count on me for anything.
0: Wow yeah uh, so they're all volunteers I didn't realize so they're not professional.
1: Well some of them paid, are like, like the EMS crew. EMS crew is and but like the fire department like the firefighters and everybody
0: those were all like volunteers you know oh wow okay yeah I think it, I don't think we really have that system in the UK anymore everybody's yeah all of the firefighters be uh, paid um, but you you um, so so they so they you're fighting and they get you out and then but then I understand you went into a coma is that right at some point that happened
1: yeah um, it, it, after they extricated me and got me out I coded on them a few times, which basically means my heart stopped beating, but they were able to bring me back. Um, and at the hospital, I went into a coma and then I went into an induced coma because they had to operate quickly if they wanted to save my leg and uh, just do everything on my face it had to be done because I was a bloody mess at that point.
0: Right, right. And And so... So, of course, you you wouldn't have recalled any of that. What, what were the first moments of recollection as you're starting to emerge from the coma?
1: Uh, I was at three different hospitals, uh, obviously, where they stabilized me. Then they airlifted me to Navison Health in Macon, where they did a big surgery. Uh, and then from there, I went to Shepherd Center, which, where I was supposed to start my recovery and my therapies. And that's where I, where I woke up that I remember, that I can recall. I woke up at Shepherd Center and immediately the first thing I I did, I couldn't talk because my mouth was wired shut. Um, I had a tray tube and everything, but my friend brought me a whiteboard and he he told me to start writing, you know, if I have any questions or anything. My right arm was paralyzed, so I had to learn how to write with my left hand. So the first thing I recall writing down was, how did I get here? My brain still didn't put all the pieces together. didn't know what had happened until after, much later.
0: Right. And, and what was it that, that, do you remember what brought you out? Was it your friend's voice? Like, what was the, do you, what was the first thing you recall coming out?
1: The first thing I recall is seeing my mom standing over me. And right. that's, you know, that's the first phase I remember. And then, um, but after that I started kind of getting back some of my memories and I started asking about my girlfriend cause I was going down to see her. So after I realized that's where I was heading, it, the brain injury just caused kind of like a scratch disc in my head. Like I kept replaying that memory, and that's that's what I was living. You know, that I was going down to see her. So all I kept asking after that was like, "Where's my girlfriend? Where's my girlfriend? You know, is she okay? Whatever."
0: Right, right. So once you figured out you were what what, what had happened, and yeah, yeah, you're in a hospital. Then 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 that's the next thought. That came. And so and how long were you in? Were you in this state with? in in the first hospital, in Shepard?
1: Uh, I was at Shepherd for almost three months uh, in just trying to get movement in my leg and then also having all these other procedures being performed. Because um, like I said, I had a trach tube, I had a feeding tube, because I couldn't talk, eat, do nothing, I couldn't breathe by myself. So it was just trying to get me to at least be able to breathe um, on my own so they could remove the trach I mean the chain tube and then just kind of progressively get better with all my my physical therapy my vocational therapy um every type of therapy you can imagine I'm I'm pretty sure I had
0: (laughs) (laughs) and 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 what was you know what was your emotional state then when you first you came to your senses as it were and figured out what happened you know what what were you feeling emotionally? yeah it's
1: funny you ask because um the reason why I was sent to Shepherd Center, because it's such a rever trauma institute, uh, was because of my brain injury. So like when my head hit the dash and the steering wheel like shattered everything, uh, it caused my brain to start hemorrhaging. And the frontal lobe was the part that was impacted the most. And that's just caused all my emotions to be haywire. You know, like everything that kind of held my emotions at bay before, it's like the dam had broken loose and like all... my emotions running rampant like they were at one extreme or another and i would just be angry or i would just be crying all day um and when i was happy very seldom like my dad was the only one that would make me laugh it would be like non-stop laughter it was so weird but um it was just weird because i've always been in control of my emotions i've always been you know i've never been an emotional person before if i was angry or upset i would go and work out you know or if i was feeling emotional distress, whatever. I was sit down and play some music. But fast forward to 2018, I, I didn't have any of those outlets. You know, my right arm was paralyzed. I couldn't talk. My mouth was wired shut. Um, I was 35 pounds lighter just because <laughs> I, I, I was like a little kid at that point, you know, and so I couldn't work out compared to walk. So all the, the outlets I used to have were no longer there for me. And I remember the first year, uh, I cried every day um, nonstop. It was like, it would just happen. I, I couldn't control it. And it just made me angry. You know, like when you start crying and you're like, why am I crying? It just makes you cry more. So um, that's, that's how my emotions were for the vast majority of the first year.
0: Right. And and then presumably certainly at the beginning, you didn't have any way to exp- to express it, right? You, there's no, you can't yell, you can't write anything down. It's yeah, it's, that's it's what caused you most of it in your head.
1: It, that's what caused me even more frustration. Like it's like I I, I can't let any of this out, you know, until eventually mm-hmm. they unwired my mouth and I could start mumbling some things, which is why I would talk to my mom. She was like my psychologist, my therapist, my nurse, all in one. And she would get you know, uh, she would be the one to get me out of there and kind of help me talk it out once I could.
0: Right, and. And yeah, your I mean your family. It's just an extraordinary story of the way your family came together around you. Um were they because they all moved to be basically with you a constant visual, it seemed. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they they left everything and they just came be by my side, be supportive, um, which is why I consider them, you know, the strongest people. Just because I know I went through it all physically, right? But um and I, I say it in my book too, like I the one thing I haven't uh, gone through is seeing you know a loved one that's about to die or you know if he's passed away and seeing your only son because i'm the only mm. boy in the family you know um seeing him on his deathbed is i i don't know how you come back from that i don't know how you my mom kept it together but uh that's why i say they're they're my they're my role models you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's 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 amazing you know and how yeah, the strength and the sacrifice, and yeah, yeah, and and, and they did. They, it's not like that. They they they're a, a wealthy family, right? They they made enormous yeah. financial sacrifice.
1: Yeah, they did. A, they did a lot just to you know uh, keep me where I was because I had I had accomplished so much in my life, and now they didn't want me to go back. They didn't want me to keep regressing or feel like I had lost everything. So that was their main focus, making sure that I. I kind of maintained that a slight live sliver of hope that things could get better.
0: Right, right. And and when did you start to like form I guess new expectations of how your life was gonna be? Like what was the first, I guess, vision of, of the new life that formed for you?
1: Uh for me, it was after I it had to have been when I first saw my reflection in the mirror. Uh, at at the hospital. I was almost about to get discharged, but I had never seen myself uh, because I couldn't wear glasses because my nose had just been, uh, I guess, reconstructed at that point. So I couldn't put anything on it. Mm. Uh, And I'm pretty blind as it is, like I wear contacts, but uh, so I couldn't, I hadn't seen my reflection. My world was hazy. But once my, once I was able to wear my glasses, I, I saw my reflection in the mirror when I went to the restroom and I immediately stopped because I I didn't recognize the person, you know, that was looking back at me and I was, I was confused, but I was also deeply saddened just because the person I saw was not who I was. And that's kind of the first moment where I ever thought about suicide, you know, like I, I really didn't want life. This is how it was going to be, you know, because I had been the best version of myself possible throughout my life. And the same question, the why me, right? Like, why does this have to happen? I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't even having fun. I was literally driving down to go see uh, my girlfriend and my family. And, you know, this individual abruptly comes into my life and just ruins it, you know? So I I didn't understand. And my emotions were haywire. I was just like, I, I don't want it anymore. You know, I spent 24 years um, trying to get to where I am right now. Why do I have to start all over? You know, I say in my book. If life had a reset button, somehow I had pressed it because I was back. My mom had a newborn baby, you know, I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't tie my shoes. I couldn't do anything by myself. So the person I had become and the independent individual I was was like it was only a, a shadow, a memory of yesterday, you know, so it was pretty depressing. And like I said, that was the first time I ever thought about suicide. And I. I broke down even worse the following morning because I, re- I realized I spent all night thinking about how, how to go about it if I could, right? But I realized my right arm was paralyzed. I could barely move. My mom was holding my, le- my left hand day and night. So I was like, if I wanted to end it, I would have to ask for somebody's help. And that just kind of made me even mm-hmm. more depressed. I saw how low I had fallen. And my mom, she asked me why I was crying. And I, I spoke to her. I was like, I, I don't want this life. And that's when I saw tears in her eyes and she broke down, you know, because I realized she was broken even more because her faith had been broken. You know, all her all she ever asked for was for God to protect her family, her her children. That's all she ever cared about. And then this happens. And she, again, doesn't understand why. And I realized that my mom was broken even deeper than I was, you know, because all her beliefs were from 40, 50 years, you know, so. Uh, i realized i couldn't break down for her again i had to be strong and so if if not for me i would do it for her because i was seeing all the sacrifice she was putting in to see me get better and see give me a possibility you know to find my happiness again if it if it was out there and so um i realized i couldn't break down again
0: so that was the was that the first goal then how do i get back to being happy was that like wh- wait what you set yourself for set as the as the bar
1: it wasn't it wasn't at first, I'll be honest. It was mostly uh, if I won't do it for me, because at that point, my life was meaningless to me. Right. Uh, but I was I'll do it for my mom and my dad. That was literally okay. it. Then um, initially it was actually I was going to do it for my girlfriend because I told her I was like, because my brain was replaying her. So all I used to ask was, where is she? You know, like, uh, does she know like that I love her? You know, so I kept that telling her, I'm going to make it out of here. Not for me. I'm making it out for us, you know, because mm. though everything has changed in her life, you know, the love I feel for you has not. And so I, I wanted to make it out of there because that would prove that to her, you know, that I wasn't giving up on, on us. And so that was the first thing that got me out and got me motivated. And I speak about it in my book, like, though she's no longer in my life, right? She kind of provided that motivation for me during the time right though her motives were wrongly placed or whatever like that's the thing i'm I'm thankful for Like it gave me that motivation to get out of that darkness and kind of pursue uh, a life together even though it wasn't going to happen you know
0: but, yeah right yeah, <laughs> so so you're like i'm gonna get out of this host- hospital so that i can have a life with yeah. my girlfriend right yeah 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 and and what So so given you'd had that goal in mind, like what was that, were there any daily practices or rituals, anything that you developed that like had you inch a bit closer each day to that goal?
1: For sure. And honestly it was keeping myself occupied because I noticed if I, I I just laid in bed or if I um, didn't do anything, all the negative thoughts kept coming back into my head, you know, like, uh, I, I realized I had to stay busy or keep my mind my mind occupied on something uh, productive in order for me to make it out and just hold on for one more day. Like that was always the goal. Just hold on for one more day. Tomorrow, it it'll get better. Like it can't get worse if you keep if doing you know your your therapy. If you keep progressing, if you keep trying to get better, um, you're not gonna go back. And so that was my my daily mantra every day. Like. I would tell myself, you know, hey, get up. Let's go. Let's go walk at least, or try to walk. Uh, Let's go exercise. Let's go. At that point, my right arm was still paralyzed. I was like, all right, let's go. Try and see if I can move it. You know, like at the end of the day, I told myself, if you don't get better, it's not at least because you didn't try. And so that Mm -hmm. was my whole mentality. And I just I had to keep busy because as soon as I didn't uh, do something, I like the negative thoughts would creep back into my head and. I knew that wasn't letting me progress further. You know, like if I kept thinking about oh my life, what I had lost, I would I wouldn't be able to focus on, you know, the future. And I, that's why I called it Chase the Light because for some reason I was I kept chasing the Caesar of yesterday. You know, I kept chasing mm-hmm. what what was instead of what was to come and what I could become. And so, mid um, halfway through the book, obviously. I, I changed my perspective and I, I decided to chase, you know, my goals that I had already become and I had already done. I was like, I can do it again, but, and I can go even further. And so that was my daily mantra. It was just kind of like a daily ritual of reminding myself that of year, it's your responsibility to get back to where you were. Um, and you can go even further. Like there's nothing that's uh, prohibiting you or, you know, holding you back. Um, at the time, obviously things were all physical, like blocks that I had, like I could barely walk, my right arm was paralyzed. But every day I kept telling myself, try, right, just give it a go. You know, it, it can only get better.
0: Right. Right. And then that eventually evolved into not only could I get back, I can I can get beyond where I'd got to.
1: Exactly. And that's that's kind of like my still mantra because I I, I I saw how far it got me, not only my recovery, but um I see if I applied that to every aspect of my life. Um it's I mean, it's, it's crazy how far you can go. And this, like every morning I wake up at five, I go running three miles, you know, I'm still constantly pushing the envelope, not because I'm trying to get better, you know, not because I can't physically do it. It's just because I want to see how far I can push myself, you know, like there's, there's the sky's the limit, you know? And so I always want to keep progressing and keep getting better. I don't ever want to lose that drive.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And so, and so, to continue the story, so eventually you get out of Shepherd, right? This is the the specialist trauma center, and where do you go next?
1: From there, I go to. So when I left the Shepherd Hospital as an inpatient, when I got discharged, I everybody thought, okay, you know, it's the worst part is over. But no, the worst part was just beginning because I had multiple surgeries, you know, ongoing, and I still had two, three years of therapy left, you know, like I would, I would keep going to the outpatient clinic and go there twice a week to get my therapy, um, my music therapy, uh, physical therapy, vocational therapy. Um, So everything was just beginning. My recovery process was actually just beginning when I left Shepherd, and I just continued. And that's why me reminding myself that it was my responsibility to get to where I was and just kept pushing myself. Um, I don't know how I would have made it out if I hadn't.
0: Right. And you, and you move into an apartment close by, is that right?
1: Yeah. So I had told my, uh, my girlfriend that she could move in with me at once she finished college and, you know, she didn't have to pay for anything. Um, but I was hoping she would, you know, offer just cause she knew I wasn't working. Right. And she knew I had like what had happened, but, I told her I was going to get a bigger apartment so she could have more room for her stuff. And obviously she agreed to it, but um, it wasn't financially viable for too long because I wasn't working and I I still had multiple surgeries left, you know, and my mom, she was living with me because I could barely, I couldn't do anything by myself, you know, so it was it was pretty, it was a pretty hard, hard moment for not just for me, but for my parents as well, you know. Cause my dad was still living in Savannah. He would drive up for four and a half hours every weekend to come see us. Cause he had to go back to work eventually. Mm. You know? yep. And so having my, my parents have never been separated for a long period of time, but this was like a year, a year and a half, you know, my dad leaving my mom for a week and coming back every weekend and seeing what had happened to me on that road, you know, we didn't
0: want my dad. To mm. keep driving that long. Right. And your mom's on the couch, and you're yeah, and well, you're also living with your girlfriend. Exactly.
1: Yeah, because my mom was not; she wasn't leaving my side. Uh, she was like, "No, I, she left her home, but my by my side is where she wanted it to be." And so she she stayed on the couch for
0: over a year and a half. Wow, and your sisters are also involved. Yeah, my sister moved from the, uh, the city she was at teaching
1: uh, after my accident. She moved to the apartment complex right next door to me so she could be there for take me to my appointments you know be there for my mom if she needed her um just be uh be there for us
0: i mean this is amazing i just think that's such a yeah i was moved several times to tears during the book just the the love your parents well your whole family show i mean it's it really is a, a extraordinary the family you have
1: Yeah, no, it's a a story about, obviously, my, uh, my, it's a memoir of my my life, right, everything that happened, but it's, it's a story about them, you know, like, I wouldn't be here without them and the love they show me. So um, I think it's, it's pretty amazing, the family I have.
0: Yeah. And so that was one of your sisters moved close by, and then, but another sister was still involved, although she had to move away eventually, right?
1: Yeah, so she moved uh, after I got discharged from the hospital. She moved to San Diego, California, um, and that's where she, because her her boyfriend lived there at the time, and then once she moved, um, they had a baby, and she named him after me, because they they obviously, when they heard the news of my accident, nobody knew if I was going to make it, you know, so she didn't want to name him Caesar, right? Because she was like, I don't want it. He was never going to replace you or anything, but she gave him a middle name, Antonio, um, you know, because she wanted my parents to have something, you know, like a new yeah. light coming from the darkness. Mm. And so that's what Antonio is. And thankfully, I get to see him a lot because I travel over there all the time. So um, I, I couldn't be happier with my nephew.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, so you say your mother's with you for yeah you know, a year and a half, she's living in this apartment with you on the couch. You're going your outpatients, and then what? What when? When did she reach the point where she felt she could move away? What? What triggered that? Uh, my mom. You said yeah, your mom. Yeah, because she she, uh, she she uh
1: as soon as she heard about my accident, obviously she left everything and came to be with me at the hospital. She never left. Uh even for a minute, only to sign paperwork. Would she ever like leave my my side? But she stayed with me um, all throughout my recovery. And she never left me because she knew my brain injury was still healing. So she wanted to be there for me. Should I need to talk it out? You know, she knew my girlfriend wasn't gonna do it. And so she was kind of worried that, hey, what if I get emotional? Like who's gonna be there for me, right? and so she stayed with me throughout my recovery and my sister and i bought a house um in 2020 the end of 2020 and or beginning of 2020 i don't remember but we bought a house together um because i spoke to her uh i was like my mom she she needs place, you know first so like i can't have her sleeping on the couch you know for over a year and a half Uh, she deserves way better than this you know and I know life hasn't treated as well this far but I think she needs uh, she needs her own space you know so we bought a house and um I told my girlfriend hey you can move in with us you know um uh, you don't have to worry about mortgage or anything maybe so she got covered but that's when she was that's when she said she she was she, this wasn't what she signed up for um you know meaning being through my recovery watching me you know get better slowly um and I, I asked her if she, if she if something had changed in her, you know, from the, who I was before the accident and, and after. And she just said she hadn't signed up for this. And I told her, I told her at that point I was like, "Te amo," which is "I love you" in Spanish, because for me mm. that means so much more than when I say it in English, just because you know people use the love so habitually. Like I feel like it's lost mm. some of its. Luster. So when I say I, I say "te amo" to my parents all the time, you know, because. They know where it's coming from. They know it's, it's, I don't, I don't just love everything, you know, yeah. I love them. And so that's why I told her, I was like, damn, do you love me? And she just stayed quiet. And I realized, no, <laughs> she had made her decision a long time ago. She was only mm-hmm. just now vocalizing it. And so it was, it was like two trucks hit me again, you know, because it was the last remnant of my life before the accident that was kind of breaking off at that point. So it just, it broke me even further. And this, she did this the day before I had to go to trial to see the drunk driver that did all of this to me. So my emotions were just—I—I I, I can't even put it in words. I—it was like an all-consuming fire at that point, you know. Like I was just mad at everything, um, mad at life, mad at God, mad at everything in my life that had kind of culminated to that point. It's—it's it's just like I, I didn't—I didn't know it why—why why it was happening.
0: Yeah. And was this at a point where you still felt you had the brain injury and so your emotions were was, was still more wild than before? Or,
1: Yeah, no, it was still, my brain injury didn't start healing until I would say about a year, year and a half ago. And honestly, because I I would always have migraines every morning. Like I went through Tylenol and Motrin uh, at like a bottle every day, you know, just because I would get through mm. constant. Because my brain was... Still trying to absorb the blood that had been hemorrhaging after the accident. So, um, my emotions were still haywire and I just, I just, I didn't know what to do at that point.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're having migraines every day as well as every- all the physical pain, presumably everywhere else in your body. Yeah. Oh man. And, and so what did you, there must've been a temptation there to, to hit the painkillers really hard. Like what, what was your relationship with the painkillers?
1: Yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, My pain tolerance was super high. Uh, Like, thankfully, I I would only ask for them like if I was, I couldn't control it or I couldn't, you know, hold it in. But my mom, since she was always there, she was the one that was in control of all the painkillers. She wanted to make sure that number one, I wasn't going to go into my, you know, into a depressive state. And number two, that I wasn't going to use the painkillers incorrectly or that i wasn't gonna you know drown my my sorrows in alcohol which is not something i was ever going to do but she was just scared about you know how my mental state was
0: at that point Mm. yeah i'm impressed i mean i I broke my leg once i mean nothing uh, you just a fraction of what you experienced and i was in (laughs) hospital with uh you know with Uh. with painkillers and i can remember like within three days i was addicted to them and i was like craving the the drugs (laughs) round like yeah. You know, counting down the minutes to like 11 a.m. Yeah. or whatever it was they gave to get my next hit. It's they're really oh, yeah, powerful. Definitely.
1: That's what they told me. They said that, um, you know, you, you're definitely going to probably get addicted to them, um, especially because in the hospital, there was there was one surgery. I think it was the stenosis removed from my trachea two that um, it was the most painful thing that I think my my memory has kind of blocked it out. But they gave me morphine like every day um you know they're like you're probably gonna get addicted to this if we give it to you more um but i never i never got that that feeling you know that i was getting addicted to them like i could leave them as soon as i i felt hey no you're good to go you know I it's just like i don't need them
0: interesting why do you think you 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 haven't got an addictive nature in that way
1: for me it's kind of that that same person not personality but that same characteristic that i i keep pushing myself you know like if mm. I feel like I always got to prove it to myself, you know, like that, that independence that I, I felt like I had lost before. I was like, I don't want to depend on, on painkillers, you know? So I was like, as soon as I, I felt good enough, I was like, no, I don't need them anymore. Um, you know, I'm independent. I don't depend on nobody. I, it was this, that mentality. Like, I, I don't want to be dependent on anything, you know? Um, and that just kind of, I guess that kind of prevented me from getting addicted, you know, because mm. I, I so I stopped taking them once
0: I felt good. Yeah, it's almost like that's part of your your recovery is like doing it, but in a way that means you're not dependent, right? You're, you're, gained, you're gaining independence, and that would take you in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So now you move into your to this ha- home with your sister and your mom, Your your, your girlfriend's out of the picture. Yeah, talk yeah. us through that phase. What's what's happening at that at that phase
1: point? Yeah, it was. I think that. Was, it, it was so surreal because that, that pain, I remember, you know, it's not like the pain from the accident, the impact mm-hmm. that for that, but it was like two trucks hit me all over again. You know, it was like, I was starting all over my recovery phase, even though I wasn't, but that's how it felt. Like, just cause right. she's the reason, obviously I was driving down there to go see her, you know? And if I hadn't met her, you know, like, that's kind of like where my brain started going. Like, right. Why? Why, you know, like, why did I make these decisions? Why, why did I even meet her? You know, like all of this, the worst pain in my whole life and in my family it could have been avoided you know, if I had not met her, right? So I was like that. I've always lived my life with no regrets, uh, but out of everything, I felt regretful about that, you know? And so that pain and that depression, that depressive state kind of just, it, it, down, it dawned on me, you know, through the several months and eventually, one day, I, I sat down near a lake in, in New York, uh, and tears just started crying. I mean, tears just started coming, and it was. I saw my shadow in the or my reflection in the in the lake, and I just kind of spoke to myself. You know, try to make amends. Like I, I felt like I was two different people. You know, the Caesar before the accident then the Caesar now, and uh, so I just kind of spoke to myself and I apologized for myself to myself for. All the pain I had put me through, you know, and just kind of try to make amends with myself and just promise myself to get better and to protect both of us, you know. <laughs> and right. I know it sounds weird, right? But like, yeah. the, I like split personality, but my life had just been drastically changed. So I felt like obviously the Caesar before the accident was one mm. person, Caesar who I am now is a different person, um, even though we're, we're the same, but it's that the perspective in my life had changed. And so I just kind of I felt I needed to make amends with who I was before, you know, in order yeah. to be able to bond. And so after that, I kind of found I felt lighter, and I felt I found a little piece that kind of propelled me to just continue getting better and leave everything behind that wasn't helping me to do that.
0: Right, right. And were you able to share like with your with your sister and your mom through this process, or was this a a personal journey for you?
1: It was. It was mostly a personal journey. Mm. Um, Because my mom was always asking, you know, how are you feeling? And she would always tell me, hey, you're better off, you know, alone. You know, you you need people that are going to help motivate you and inspire you and push you, you know, to get better. And so that my mom, uh, I would speak with her sometimes, but I needed to do it alone, you know, like that's why there was nobody around. And that moment when I when I spoke to myself, it's kind of made amends with me. um, It was kind of like an internal healing process that I had to do, but I had to do it on my own, you know, so. Uh, thankfully, I, I got a chance to do
0: it. Right, right. And so whilst, whilst you're getting over, I mean, you call her Heather in the book. I wasn't sure if that was yeah. her real name or not. No, that's not her real name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're getting over Heather. Uh, and how's your physical healing at this point?
1: Uh, at that point, I still had various surgeries left. Um, I think I I've had over 20 20 something there there it's in the 20s wow. uh, surgeries wow. you know and these are big surgeries like it's not it's not something little uh but at that point I still had a lot of surgeries left so uh I was able to walk I was able to slightly jog but my gait uh how I walked was still a little bit wobbly my right arm was still basically paralyzed it, it was moving slightly but not much and I I just I still had so many surgeries left. I was wearing braces at that point. So um it just there was still a lot more to be done, you know, and the recovery process was I would always say halfway done.
0: Right. Right, right. And and, and the and the con and the constant was like, I'm gonna so so now Heather's gone, right? So it's not I'm gonna do this so that I can have a life with Heather again. It's, is, is this the point now where there's a new girl, a new girl, a new goal. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, after she left, um, obviously I, I, went into a depressive state for, uh, for a little bit, which that my parents helped me, um, you know, my mom, she helped me get out of it and I kind of realized at that point, yeah, my, my perspective and my view, my goals had to change, you know, cause Heather was out of the picture, right. So I couldn't rely on her to kind of give me that motivation hey get up get going um so I started reading I started uh pushing myself even further I was like all right that motivation is gone but now there's a new motivation for me it's that's when I started chasing uh who I was you know like I was mm-hmm. like I gotta get back to where I was before and then even more so uh, I started doing everything I was like if I couldn't move this weight, you know, when I was at the gym, if I couldn't move this weight yesterday, I'm going to move it tomorrow, you know? So there was always that mentality of now I got to get better than where I was yesterday. Like, that kind of became my goal. And my family, my family was, they they took priority after Heather left, right? Like, Hmm. Heather had a picture, but now it was my family. So my family was number one. I was doing it for them. And, you know, obviously for me to get better. Um, But I wanted to let them know that I wasn't going to give up you know, just because she had left, I was going to do it for us because they had sacrificed so much, almost two years at that point, three years, um, you know, to see me get better. So I, I wasn't going to let all their sacrifice go to waste. And that, that kind of became my motivation at that point.
0: Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So that's a constant. So, so you're at no point are you ever doing this just for you. No. <laughs> and do you think that was a big part of why you were successful?
1: yeah um it wasn't until my brain injury started like it was healed that i i kind of moved a little bit and i saw my parents obviously they were they, they were smiling a little bit more you know like they were kind of more content with life um i'm not saying they were at peace but they, they had definitely made amends with what happened and when i saw that hey they were, they're doing a lot better i was like now now i can start doing everything for me and that was like uh, that's nice i think time. like like last year is when i started. Uh, I started chasing everything. My, my book, I was, I was hell bent on, you know, getting it out, making sure I progressed my story and helping others. Like I, I really wanted to help others traverse their darkest moments. Like I had, you know, thankfully I had my family there for me, but Mm. for some maybe don't have that type of family, you know, I kind of wanted to be that, that light that helps guide them. And so I started doing things for me. And just focusing on on what I wanted to accomplish, you know, I told my mom and my dad, I was like, "Hey, you, uh, yeah." Last year, last uh, last December, I told him, "Hey, we know we're together. Like, this is what you guys work for, you know, to see me get better. I'm finally where I am. Um, now it's my turn to find my happiness, you know." So it was it was kind of like my that uh, in December, I, I kind of like broke off, you know, from that perspective of, Hey, I'm doing this yeah. for everybody else, not me into, Hey, now i got to focus on me and make sure I find my happiness, find my, my, uh, my happiness somewhere out there, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So a big focus on, on you and it's still about helping others. As you say, like how, how can people find, find Those light days. in the, in the darkness. And so, so that was last December and we're now in sep- September. Where, where, where are you at with your physical recovery now?
1: um physical recovery i think i have like one or two more surgeries pending uh but it it's all like it's not medically necessary like it's all like uh it would probably be cosmetic or categorize as cosmetic yeah. and uh but no, I'm, I'm running three miles every morning at five in the morning you know like i'm working out uh, i'm doing everything like, i'm doing my music again i'm back into my acting stuff with my agents so everything's it's it's come back full circle and that's that's basically what I had told myself I was gonna do. You know, I was I wow. said, whatever was taken from me, I'm gonna get it back. And it was that mentality that that propelled me to move forward. And thankfully, I've I've accomplished
0: it. You know. Yeah. Are you doing your crazy press ups? My press ups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every every day. <laughs> yeah, you talk. I I had a visual of these incredibly elaborate press ups that you were going yeah. for in the, in the gym it was crazy <laughs> yeah was crazy. yeah great. so that so what's the total time lapse now like what, what how many years is that or how many years and months is that january twelfth of
1: 2018 that would put us at what almost five five years in january maybe
0: right right yeah wow that's a long time to keep the faith right to keep the hope <laughs> alive yeah
1: yeah And I mean, it was broken several times, for sure, for sure. But I think through it all, um, I finally made amends with life, God, my faith, everything. And, you know, that's why I stand on the other side of this mountain, unbreakable, you know, like I feel like Mm -hmm. I've gone literally through hell. And now the little things before that would maybe sometimes bother me, I I tend to see the good in in everything nowadays Uh, and just try to try to be grateful more, you know, um, like just mm-hmm. to put in perspective, like before or things that used to bother or most of us, you know, when you go to the store and can't find a parking spot, the close to the entrance, you know, they, they, people get upset. But for me, I'm like, I, I purposefully park all the way in the back, you know, cause I was like, I was so close to not being able to walk, you know, now I'm just like, let me enjoy this time. It's extra therapy. You know, let me enjoy yeah. this extra two, three minutes of walking to the store, you know, it's those little things we take for granted that I'm just I'm just so grateful for nowadays.
0: So it's had more gratitude than you had before. Exactly. So that's interesting. So what what is different about the Caesar today and the Caesar pre-accident? It sounds like gratitude is one of them. What else?
1: Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is patience. I think patience was, if anything, I came out of it with more. Uh, would be patience, just because. I, I wasn't the most patient person before, but again, I could do everything, you know, before. So it's like I had to learn to be patient and realize that everything doesn't work on my time, you know. Um, like the recovery process, wow, it's taking what, five years? Even though I kept pushing myself, right, I kept pushing myself, I had to let sometimes the the body heal. You know, like after surgery, after they fixed my my left leg, that my femur was protruding out. Um, they fixed it. I had to let it heal. I couldn't get immediately up the next day and start working out. Like I had to be patient, be laying on the couch for two, three weeks, you know, like letting the, the bone heal and everything. So it, that, that was the hard part, you know, being, learning to be patient and giving everything its time that it needs to heal. Um, and, but I think it's made me the Better for it. Like nowadays, I'm I'm more patient, and I even tell that to my new girlfriend. I'm just like, hey, you know, you get a new Caesar, a move, more improved Caesar, uh, a more patient Caesar. So, we're we're good.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what comes to mind is that you know, um, success is the best revenge, right? When you, when you have exactly. a breakup, is there is yeah, there yeah, another yeah. One of that? Yeah. Yeah okay, so we've got patience gratitude any anything else about the new season
1: um more more for uh the fact that like I said, little things don't don't bother me now, like maybe before I would care about what others thought, you know um but now nah, not anymore like now I do things because I want to you know like I, I do it for me and I do it to try to help others, and that's that's. That's basically my goal, my end goal with everything. So um, I'm, I'm more more at peace, too, you know, just because I know everything I've accomplished. I've done it by myself, uh, well with my family, right? but i've I've pushed myself constantly, and that independence I thought I had lost, like I've gained it back fully. so um, I'm just I'm finally
0: at peace, All right. And you you mentioned God a couple of times in this conversation and it comes up in the book. Uh, Did anything change spiritually for you?
1: Uh, Throughout the process, I I realized, you know, once I rejected my faith, uh, once I was like just angry at God and everything, uh, once I kind of started progressing in my recovery and started healing more, um, I started healing internally too. And I realized that when I thought no solution would ever come you know that's that's when I realized hey I was never alone because a solution would come you know and that's that's kind of like the whole uh aspect of you know God's timing like it's different you know than all the what we think right so um I realized I, I, I was never alone through this whole process and I'm so grateful like I had the family i have you know the 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 support i've had through you know not just my coworkers but all the people i know like friends family um thankful that I, that was put in my life you know in order for me to make it out of that darkness and at the very end um i realized that maybe though none of this should have happened right it was a drunk driver driving right but um maybe i was strong enough to be the only one to withstand it you know cuz uh a couple of people got in touch with my sisters at the hospital, people we didn't know that told them um, they had children in the backseat that were driving behind me. And so that obviously wouldn't have made it if, you know, they had gotten hit. So at the end of the day, I'm like, if I help save a life, then I'm good with it.
0: You know? Yeah. I did my part. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I get that. Wow. Well, this this has been an amazing conversation. Is it? Is there anything you like from your story we've not touched on that you you'd like to share? No, I'm uh,
1: I'm I'm really excited for everybody to read, check out the book. Uh, I dive in deeply, like I poured my heart and soul into it. Just because I, it was my mom's idea, to be honest, because she was the one that that told me, hey, after she saw how depressive I was, how how emotional I was, she's like, why don't you start writing everything down, you know. For her, it was more like it'll serve as a catharsis for you, you know, like uh, for your broken soul and everything. So at that point, I was like, I didn't expect anything from it. But I was like, all right, fine, I'll listen. You know, I'll start uh, typing it down. And slowly, as I kept writing more and more, the tears kind of stopped coming. And I realized there was a message I want to get out, you know, and help others. So that's why I edited it several times. And I removed all the junk that it was just basically me complaining. You know, nobody wants to hear somebody complain. So and then kind of evolved into this book, which I'm pretty proud of. I was going to edit it again. um, And that was the hard part with my publisher. I was like, I wanted because I'm a perfectionist. I wanted to be perfect, perfect and right. And for some reason, I I felt like it was a little bit repetitive, a little bit in the front. And at at the very end is when my where my best writing comes in and. Mm. And I, I, I thought about how and why. And that's because when I started writing it, my brain injury was full, full on still, you know. And so at the very end, my brain injury has recovered. And so it takes you through that journey. And that's why I decided to leave it as is, because I was like, I want the reader to go on that journey with me. You know, it kind of reminds me of the book Flowers for Algernon, where you see the the character actually evolve through the book and it takes you on that journey. So I was. I was pretty pleased with it, how it came out, and uh, I'm excited for everybody to
0: read it. That's fascinating. Yeah, now you say that, that makes total sense. Because the first, yes. yeah, the first half of the book, you're, you're, yeah, you can really feel that emotion, especially like the anger towards your your girlfriend. It's like, yeah, kind of like every page. There's a lot of rage there, and then, yeah, it becomes much more philosophical. It it sort of slows down towards the end. It's, yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. <laughs> yeah that's yeah yeah, Fascinating. yeah it's, it's another way of looking at it, but the sort of story within the story right yeah awesome well we will certainly put links to the book uh i'll remind people once again so it's uh it's chasing the light the gruesome art of becoming unbreakable uh, and i'll also put a link to the book um any any Anywhere else you might send people who, you know, going through tough times, need some inspiration?
1: Um, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my Instagram, my Twitter is uh, Caesar Perez Fit. Uh, again, I've always been a fitness fan, so that's why I had the username. Uh, but yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, be, my YouTube channel is also Caesar Perez. Uh, so, uh, cause it's about to be my music gonna be coming out, uh, so I'm excited for that aspect of my life too. Uh, but no, I'm, I just want everybody to hold on for one more day. You know, uh, mm. things do get better. Every night does have to end, even though you don't see it at the time. You know, and trust me, I, I've been there. But it, it does get better. You keep pushing and hold on.
0: Beautiful. Okay. Well, thanks once again, Caesar. This has been this has been fabulous. I really appreciate your time.
1: Uh, thank
0: you. <laughs> thank you.